So I love that re uh, video for two reasons. Partly because I just love the video and I love the music and partly because it's so provocative. Because most of us will watch that video and go, I love that, but. Anybody thinking that? There were a couple of little buts coming up in your mind. We all have buts, don't we? Uh, well, we all have buts, don't we? Some of you, <laughs> some of you have little buts and some of you don't. So, and we're going to be talking about uh, the books. We're going to be talking about love this morning. So, uh, we're excited. Let's, let's pray, and then we're going to continue our series of Kingdom Principles, thinking about God's love, how He's shown it to us, and how we show it to each other. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, today because you are a God of love, and you've poured out your love upon us. You've given us your grace. As we unpack that, Lord, and as we later... Uh, break bread together, I pray you will just give us wisdom and insights, and for every one of us, you will speak something new and fresh into our hearts and minds. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm, I'm kind of like 50-50 today, um, how we start this message off. So this week I went to the barbers. Um, some of you will have noticed. I'm not happy with the result. In fact, so much so, I got back on a YouTube, how to speak to your barber, because he didn't do what I was looking and hoping he would do. And I was thinking about miscommunication, uh, that so often miscommunication is at the source of some of our issues with each other. So um, I have this little story I tell when I do this with teenagers, um, but for adults it's more childish humor. And then I looked around today when I thought, I thought maybe I'll do it today, I'm not sure. So uh, I might do it just really quickly. So um, there's a story uh, that goes like this. There was a guy who... Um, <laughs> Ryan's shaking his head at me. There was a guy who, uh, sorry, a lady who was um, from England traveling to Germany to the Black Forest. And she thought, I need to ask some questions because this place is a bit remote. So she asked the guy, this is a few years ago, do you have a WC? And now in England, WC means water closet. So it's a restroom or a toilet. The German didn't know because Germans don't know a lot. So the German didn't know. <laughs> so what he did was he asked the local vicar, have you any idea what WC means? And the vicar said, probably means wayside chapel. Probably means wayside chapel. So he writes a letter back to the school mistress. Uh, sorry, he writes a letter back to the lady who's asking about toilets. Boy, he thinks she's asking about the wayside chapel. This is the letter he apparently wrote. Dear madam, I take great pleasure in informing you that the WC is located eight miles from the house. It is located in the middle of a grove of pine trees surrounded by lovely grounds. It is capable of holding 229 people and is open on Sundays and Thursdays. As there are many people expected in the summer months, I suggest you arrive early. There is, however, plenty of standing room. There is unfortunate, this is unfortunate, uh, unfortunately, because um, if you are in the habit of going regularly, it may be some time uh, before you get seated. Um, <laughs> It may be of interest to you to know that my daughter was married in the WC. In fact, it was there she met her husband. It was a wonderful event. There were 10 people for every seat. It was wonderful to see the expressions on their face. My wife sadly has been ill and not been able to go recently. It had been almost a year since she went last, which pains her greatly. You'll be pleased to know that many people bring their lunch and make a day of it. Others prefer to wait till the last minute and arrive just in time. I would recommend your ladyship plan to go on a Thursday as there is organ accompaniment. The acoustics are excellent and even the most delicate sounds can be heard everywhere. The newest addition is a bell which rings every time a person enters. I look forward to escorting you there myself and seating you in a place where you can be seen by all. With deep, deepest regards, the schoolmaster. Okay, Howard enjoyed that more than anybody it seems. <laughs> <laughs> 
So quite often there's a misunderstanding that can be at the center of the issues that we have and the problems that we have. And what's been great is because Saints Church is so new, I think this is week 15, I've not heard of people falling out, but I'm sure at some point that will happen, that we'll upset each other, we'll do things that we don't like. The question is, how do we respond to that? And so last week, we started to look at the, this kingdom principle, uh, judge and be judged. And we realized that our commitment to Christ is seen by Christ through our commitment to the body of Christ. We talked about how ridiculous it would be for someone to come to me and say, Paul, I want a great relationship with you, but I hate your family. In the same way, we can't go to the Father and say, Lord, I love you, but I hate this person. As far as Christ sees it, our commitment to him is seen by him through, his, uh, through our commitment to each other. And James, the brother of Jesus, said, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so we decided to look at the kingdom principle, do not judge, or in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you which is a strong statement. It's both positive and negative. It reads negative, but the positive side is the more grace we show others, the more grace will be shown to us. So we use the diagram of the cloud and the line, which we've been using for this series. Line dwelling is where we go only so far because we don't want to get in trouble, and we ask other questions. That, well, what do we have to do in order to get a reward? And we spend most of our time on this line of laws, asking about the laws, and we remembered that uh, when the law of uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth came in, although it sounds harsh in retrospect now, at the time people would take revenge. And what that law was to do was to stop people taking revenge and bring in justice. But when Jesus came, he said, if you really want to know what's in the heart of God, it's grace. And he shows us grace. And that's what we're going to talk about is what kind of love was God and Jesus really talking about. And how does this tie into in advancing his kingdom? Well, last week, again, we looked at the fact that the Jews believed there were 613 commandments. And it was interesting that 248 of them were positive and 365 were negative. And yet in the Talmud, so this is not medical fact, but in their religion, um, they realized or they believed there were 248 bones in the body and 365 ligaments. So this is what's called in Hebrew a remez. It's a hint. It's a, a hint that the laws of God can only truly be fulfilled in the body, not by an individual. So the laws of God um, in the Old Testament, you can't fulfill them as an individual. It's impossible. For some, you have to be male. For some, female. For some, you have to be living in Jerusalem. You, literally, it takes a body to fulfill God's law and demonstrate and display what his kingdom looks like to others. So that's what we looked at uh, last week. And we said finally uh, last week this, that um, the way we as humans with human love take care of each other is with a system of human rights. But the way God wants us to take care of each other is with a system of human responsibilities. So the Bible does not say to us, if you're a widow, stand up for your rights. If you're downtrodden, stand up for your rights. If you're oppressed, stand up for your rights. The Bible says to everybody else, if you see someone who's a widow or poor or oppressed, it's your responsibility to take care of them and display God's love. So as we think about this, this kingdom principle, let's, let's kind of dig into it a little bit. And let's, this week, look at the promises. 
What does God promise to us if we judge in the way he wants us to judge? So I'm going to look at about four different promises. The first one is this. Judge with grace and he will claim you as his own. Let me just read this passage of scripture that ties into it. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So when I read that a while ago, quite a few years ago, I I kind of went, seriously? Seriously, Jesus? Love? That's going to make the difference? Because I know an awful lot of people who are not Christians who are incredibly loving people. In fact, uh, one of the people I think of in Viridian, our community, is lady one of the most loving and positive people I know. And as far as I know, she's not following Jesus as far as I know. She doesn't profess faith in the same way as I would. So we as Christians don't have a monopoly on love. Certainly not human love. So what's Jesus really talking about here? When he says, if you love one another, everybody's going to know you're my disciples. So I think most of us will know this because it's often said that um, we in England have, or in English I should say, have one word for love. But in Greek and other languages, there are many different types of words for love. And the love that Jesus is using here is a particular type of love. So there are other loves like eros. Eros is a kind of sexual or sensual kind of love. And the best way I explain this is because what happened to me when I was younger. So when I, when I first started to work, Um, When I was about 17 or 18 years old, I had a job, uh, was trained as a manager in retail. And um, around that time, all the girls used to read these books. In England, they're called Mills and Boone books. I think in America, they're called um, Hallmark books. And uh, I could never understand why the girls read all these books. And then one day, we got delivered 2,200 of these books. I couldn't believe it. And And there was probably about 30 titles and they came in. I'll read some of the titles to you, okay? The Millionaire's Misbehaving Mistress. The Untamed Shake. Blackmailed into the Greek tycoon's bed. You're going to get any idea, I would imagine. Virgin for the Billionaire's Taking. Snowed in with the Boss. Innocent Kerry and the Naughty Community Developer. That was another one that I... All sorts of... <laughs> How would that one? How was going to order that one online next week? <laughs> Especially different. <isn't it? laughs> Moving on. Okay, so so I, I read all these books and basically had about thirty different titles. And what I realised was there was thirty different titles, but all of them was one story. It's really straightforward. You've got a lady. She's normally called something like Jezebel. She's, she's her own woman, but she's feminine, okay? She's her own woman, but she's feminine. And then she meets um, Bruce, and he's a brute, and she hates him. She hates Bruce. When she first meets him, she hates him, but there's just something about him. There's just something about him. And at some point, around about page 150, what happens is she, she's on a horse or she's on a train, and then suddenly the train jolts. She bumps into him. He grabs her. He holds her. She resists, but she just can't. And that's basically the story. She falls off a horse. He grabs her. She resists, but she just can't. It's the same story in all the books. And it's ridiculous, in my opinion. But he's describing Eros love. Eros love says this. 
I love you because you make me feel good. And while you make me feel good, I will continue to love you. When you stop making me feel this way, maybe I won't. That's not the love. Eros love isn't even mentioned in the Bible. A second kind of love is uh, the philia love. It's a higher level of love uh, in, in Eros in that our happiness is involved rather than just my happiness. It's, as someone once described it, love's halfway mark. Give a little, get a little, 50-50 proposition. I love you because together we're good. Together we're happy. But if this doesn't work out, if, not, if together we're not good, I'm not sure if I'll love you the same. Agape is the highest level of love. Um, it's not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but originates in God's given nature to us. Agape is given by God alone. In fact, God himself is agape. God's love for us generates love in our own hearts. I love you because God loved me first. I know it's a, it's a cliche, but it's true. God's love is a verb. It's divine in nature. We can only get hold of the kind of love that Jesus is talking about through prayer. It's not something we can just build up. What happens is God puts us into opportunities where we need that kind of love. Maybe because someone does something so bad to us that human love just isn't strong enough. We need something from God. He puts us in those situations and it's an opportunity to get on our knees and say, God, I need the kind of love that you give to me. I need your kind of love. I need this special kind of love. God's not called us to be peace lovers. He's not even called us to be peacekeepers. He's called us to be peacemakers. And that's difficult. You need God's love for that. So, for instance, if, if Mark and Howard fall out, a peace lover just doesn't want to get involved. Uh, a peacekeeper doesn't want to get involved. But a peacemaker will. And it takes courage because if I, if I challenge Mark about the way he's relating to Howard or Howard the way he's relating to Mark, then what if one of them falls out with me? I don't want either of them because they're both my friends. So I'm just going to let them carry on and I hope it works out. That's not peacemaker. A peacemaker steps in. It goes the extra mile. It goes beyond what it has to do. And that's how we see the kingdom of God advanced. When the people of God love each other in a way that they would be peacemakers, not simply peace lovers. So when Jesus says, by this love, all men will know you're my disciples, he's not talking about human love. Because there, there are people in this world who are better at that than I am. He's talking about people who will know, I need something special that originates from the Father. I need something that doesn't come from inside me, it comes from him, but can overflow in my life. The second part of this is that um, if we judge with grace, he will always have our back. Our judgment of others, when it's a bad judgment, when it comes out of a, a negative thing, doesn't just hurt us, it hurts others as well. And one of my favorite proverbs that isn't in the Bible is an African proverb, and it says this, when bull elephants fight, the grass always loses. You know, when people in church fight, the community loses out. When churches fight with each other, a nation will lose out. When bull elephants fight, the grass always loses. And again, there are cliches, but the thing with cliches is they're true. That's why they become a cliche. 
So hurt people, hurt people. Now, most things that make me think at some point make me think about food. That's <laughs> just the way I am. So when I hear that phrase, what my mind goes to is kebabs. I say kebab, you say kebab. You know, you know like, like you have a skewer with meat on it? And I think that's what I see sometimes in church sometimes is you see a kebab of hurt people. Someone feels like they've been stabbed in the back, but you can tell because there's a spike sticking out the front. Everywhere they go, it's ouch, ouch, ouch. They're kind of really prickly. It's like sometimes you'll make a friendship with someone and you might say something and they overreact. The reason they're overreacting is because someone hurt them or did something that's connected with that somewhere and they're projecting it on you. So they're kind of prickly people. But then we kind of attract people like us. So then me and me hurt people. They've got a, a thing in the back. They're sticking out and you've got this kebab of hurt people sometimes. And we don't want that. We want, we want to be free from that kind of negativity. We want to be free from that kind of hurt. And the promise we have is this. It says this in Psalm 135, verse 14. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. So here's where it becomes a kingdom principle. Here's where it ties into seek first as well. If when someone hurts you or you see hurt, you don't react the way they hurt you, you trust in God, he will vindicate you. And sometimes that's hard because you have to be quiet for a while. Jesus had to die on the cross until he was vindicated by the resurrection. And it can be, it can be a really difficult thing. In the Havarim, the Bible study we do each week, we're, we're connecting the Bible study to the, the thing we're doing on the Sunday mornings, but we're looking at a particular verse. So last week we looked at um, what does it really mean to turn the other cheek? And we realize that when you study that, it doesn't mean don't defend yourself. It's not what it's saying at all. It's very specific. It talks about being hit on the cheek by a right hand on a certain... That's an insult. What it's actually saying, if you study the scripture, is don't fight back the way you were attacked. Don't use the world's tactics to defend yourself. Use God's love. And then in hyperbole, um, Paul quotes the Old Testament. He says this, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome evil with good. Grace is the stone that will slay your Goliath. Grace is the stone that will slay your Goliath. And this kingdom principle is the sling from which to throw it. Knowing that in the same way God judges me, sorry, I judge others, God will judge me. That's helpful for me to show grace to other people. Thirdly, judge with grace and you'll have the power to restore. Judge with grace and you will have the power to restore. There's something different about the grace and the love that Jesus was talking about. And um, it says this, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. That's loaded with all sorts of theology, which we won't get into today. What we do know is this, is that God is looking for us to practice a different kind of love. Agape love is a little bit different. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, um, ask David, actually, to come up for me one second, if you don't mind, David. I'm going to ask you just to quietly... If you don't mind, just hold something for <laughs> quietly. Just hold something for me. If you could just uh, lift that up and just stand over there a little bit, just quietly for a minute. So when, G yeah, that's fine. Just just drop the button on a bit. That's great. So when um, when Jesus is in the garden and he's attacked, what happens? It don't just just okay. 
When he's in the garden and he's attacked, what happens is that Peter comes with a sword and chops the ear off of the high priest's servant. Do you remember that story? For those of you who saw that. So when you think about that story, and then Jesus heals, and, and we think, well, he's just healing him. Actually, he's doing something much more profound. So uh, he, he, the reason he doesn't chop off an arm or, or just whack a slam, I mean, it's very specific, he chops off, chops off the ear, is because it says in the Old Testament that a servant in the temple, if their earlobe was damaged in any way, they could never serve God. So when, when, when Jesus heals him, he doesn't just heals him, he restores him back to that position. Now, um, I just want to show you what, uh, if you could just lift that up a second, David, thank you. So it's simplistically said that when we sin, uh, we're, we're kind of cut off from God, yeah? That's what it says. Here's what I noticed. Um, when I've asked God for forgiveness, I've noticed something odd, and I'm going to just physically do something to see maybe if you can understand what I mean by this. So I made a cut, and then I joined them together with a knot. Anybody notice anything? Look closer. Now, that's how I feel with God when he's forgiven me in the past. I don't know about you. There are times, particularly um, when I was younger, when I really, really went off the rails, and would often pray to God, and he would continually show his grace to me. And for some reason, I'm not saying I was closer to God, but I felt closer because I knew his grace much more. Does that make sense? Now, the Galatians says, we don't go out and sin in order to feel this. That would be wrong. But what the challenge is, is this is what agape love looks like. It goes beyond forgiving to restoring. It practically thinks, I want to restore you. So it, what Jesus is saying to us is, if you love in this way, imagine this said, wife and husband, or brother and sister, or black and white. What would it look like if we as the church modeled this, not just human forgiveness? Human forgiveness says, okay, I'll forgive you. But what agape love does is it restores us to closer than we were before. Now, we still have to make judgments. You know, if somebody does something wrong in our organization, I want to restore them. But if restoring them means that other people are going to get hurt, I have to be careful of that. But for me personally, it's very, very challenging. Do we restore people? Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Um, I think one of the problems um, and the reasons we don't forgive someone, one of our buts, if you like, is that we think that to forgive is to condone, but it's not. When Jesus forgave me, he didn't say, by forgiving me, what you did was okay. And I think sometimes we think, well, I can't forgive that person because somewhere in the back of our minds we're thinking, if I forgive them, it's like I'm saying it was okay or they never did anything wrong. That's not what we're talking about. When we forgive people, uh, uh, something important kind of happens. I wrote down this. Forgiveness, forgiving someone does not mean you're saying what they did is right. It is admitting that you're no more righteous than they are. I thought I was good when I wrote that down this morning. All right, read out one more time. Forgiving someone does not mean you're saying what they did is right. It's admitting that what, who you are is no more righteous than them. So it's this kind of love that God is talking about. Show this kind of love out of a heart that 
receiving love from him, and you'll change the world. And then finally, um, let me just uh, say this before we break bread. Judge with grace, and you will never outgrace or out God, uh, outgive God. So Matthew says this. Um, in the story of Matthew, it talks about the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you remember that story? So uh, let me just tell you, for those who don't know the story, uh, Jesus tells a parable to describe what he's looking for in the church and the kingdom of God. And the story goes that a, a um, servant owes his master a sum of money, and the master decides to forgive him. But then the master is owed money by another servant. Sorry, the servant is owed money by another servant and chooses not to forgive that second servant. When the master hears about it, he goes back to the first servant and changes his mind. He doesn't forgive him anymore. He punishes him, which is scary. Because if you play that metaphor all the way through, that analogy, through, it's kind of telling us that God might even not change his mind about our salvation, but God can change. What we do influences the way he deals with us. And it's this kind of weird thing we were talking about with Bob before. It's this weird thing. There's grace, but at the same time, God God looks at the grace we're going to pour out. And here's the great thing. Our grace will never be greater than the grace he shows us. The more grace we show others, the more he will show us. Now, we're not talking about hippie love. Okay? Hippie love isn't this. Hippie love is, I won't tell you what to do because then you can't tell me what to do. That's not love. This is different. This is peace making. This is going and bringing God's love to the world. So why do we judge so badly? just want to start thinking about this as we break bread together. Why do we judge so badly? Maybe it's to divert attention from ourselves. That's what Adam did. Adam was accused. The first thing he did was pointed towards Eve. So maybe we do it to, don't look at me, look at them. Maybe because it's comfortable. I heard a story of a little boy. I think he was four years old. He was going to school. Big smile on his face. Big smile. Mommy, mommy, today I've decided to be sad. And his mum looks at him and said, why have you decided to be sad? And with a big smile he said, because when I'm sad, the teachers give me a hug. That's cute when you're three, but not when you're 33. And yet for some of us, we don't mind harboring our hurt because we get attention from it. And that's not right. We're not there to be hurting and drawing. We're there to give to others. Sometimes it's comfortable. Sometimes it's convenient. Sometimes we harbor our hurt, don't we? We protect it from the wind and the waves. We protect it from the Holy Spirit. Because our hurt, we think, gives us an excuse to behave a certain way towards others. But it doesn't. Because that forgiveness and that healing is always there. And in the same way, God's healing for our hurt is always there. So Jesus is challenging us to be always there for others. And so this kingdom principle is, um, in some ways, the forgotten kingdom principle, I think. We forget how important it is. And it's important, therefore, to break bread, I think, because it reminds us of this. Let me just read what it says um, in 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to break bread together. It says this. So anyone, who he, <clears throat> excuse me, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthy is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. 
That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Listen to this. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick spiritually, and some of you have died. Now, often when we read that, we think about when it says, without honoring the body of Christ, we think about, well, this is because this is the blood and this is the body of Christ. I believe it's talking about the body of Christ. In the Didache, the Didache was a document written by the first Christians in the first century. This is what they said. It was like a manual for ministers and, and running churches, the Didache. Let me just read what it says in the Didache. Gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving after, after confessing, confessing your transgressions that your sacrifice may be pure. But let no one who is at odds with his fellow come together with you until they be reconciled. So as we break bread together, it's an opportunity for us to highlight something. It's like why I like showing that video, because sometimes it, it pokes us. You know that, that video? There's certain things in it, for some of us it pokes us. And it raises them to the surface so that God can deal with them. And so I think communion is like that. It, it's an opportunity now for us to break bread. We're remembering God's grace to us, but God's challenge is, well, hang on a moment. Are you holding something against someone else? Are you expecting forgiveness from me, grace from me, while at the same time resisting and withholding it from someone else? And the benefit is it highlights that. And we can say, God, you know what they did. And God will say, yeah, I do. I'm not excusing it. I'm just asking you to forgive them. For some of us this morning, it might not be that. For some of us, as you break bread, you may know there's an issue between friends and you've stayed out of it because you don't want them to fall out with you. And God's word to us this morning is, I didn't call you to be a peace lover. I called you to be a peacemaker. Will you do that? So as we break bread in just a few seconds, what we're going to do is we're going to have an opportunity to do that. Now, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to copy something I learned when I first came to America that I absolutely have loved, and we're going to try it in a moment. But for now, Ryan's going to come out. So we're going to pray first. I'm going to sing one more song, and I'm going to lead us in, in this exercise of breaking bread. Maybe Scott and Pam and, and Bob and Kerry can get into positions. Thank you. Let's pray. Let's just meditate a little bit on the word of the Lord. What's Christ's challenge to you through this principle today? What does it mean practically for you today? Does it mean calling someone afterwards and just telling them you forgive them or maybe they didn't even know you had something against them. Maybe it wouldn't be a good idea to tell them that, maybe just to call them and encourage them? Is it to go into a situation this week and, and try and help bring peace between two people who are at odds with each other? How are you going to advance the kingdom of God this morning by pouring out grace through your life? Lord, help us, we pray, to do just that. For those of us who have an issue facing us that we know human love will not get us through. Lord, we, we come on our, as we bow our heads and we pray, Lord, fill us with your love, that divine love that it might flow out of us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's, sing. Let's stand, we're going to sing.